This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, tragedy for Icon. And Jepson announces two new partnerships. Basic Med's rolling along. And we introduce the AOPA Hangar. All right, David, you ready to do Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk, Ian. Everybody, welcome to Hangar Talk. Uh, we're going to go through the news. We got to also introduce our guest. We got a, just a phenomenal guest this week. I think this week we've got Adam Kishlevsky, and he is—he'll um, tell anyone he's a disabled veteran, but he's also an ace pilot. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he got a little—he uh, got a little help from some of our guys up here in Frederick, Maryland. But he started uh, in light sport uh, area, and he'll tell you where he is now. Yeah, and David, I know you sat with him, and it's just a, a just a great story and a, just a super super guy. So he is, and he's he's an all rounder, good guy, and very active. He's uh, very active in uh, Homes for Our Troops. It's one of the organizations that helps our veterans, and several other things, Able Flight and the Veterans Airlift Command. So we'll hear all about all that stuff from Adam. That's awesome. Okay, great. Um, okay, so let's let's dive into the news. Um, we're going to start off with something you've probably heard of, uh, but we just want to kind of talk through a little bit. This is a just an awful, awful story, but it has, I, I think, maybe big implications. Uh, Icon lost its first uh, two folks in an accident. I, I guess it was earlier this week uh, on Monday, and you know we had we had talked earlier about the one accident they had in Miami about the hard landing that yeah. damaged the aircraft, and that was one of their I guess that's one of their demonstrator aircrafts yeah. out there in Florida. And we we kind of joked a little bit because there were funny pictures of the thing floating and all that, but th- this is not uh, anything to joke about. No joking matter at all. No. Yeah. Um, on uh, May eighth, the two of the two of the workers at Icon were killed, and the you know, details are still coming out about that. That it's not far from their from their home base. Yeah, they they do a lot of these demos and training and stuff out of this lake in Napa Valley, and and that's where the accident was. And some interesting stuff already that's that's come out of it. Um, well, first of all, one one of the folks who died on the flight was one of their top engineers. Had come from scaled composites. Um, John and, John Carico. Yeah. How, did you meet him? Uh, I I have met him just briefly at a show yeah. once. Um, by all uh, accounts, just a real straight shooter, really brainy engineer guy, really just a phenomenal. Brought talent. a lot to the table. Yeah. I mean, thinking about going from scale composites to uh, to Icon, that's a that's a jump. I mean, 
scale composites, they're headed to the moon and beyond yeah. eventually. Yeah. yeah, so just very sad. And then and a, a new employee, actually, um, who uh, apparently had come from the car industry and w- it was just moving out to Icon. So um, just a really sad, sad story there. Yeah, Cagri server, saver, Cagri saver. Yeah, so, you know, a few things. Avweb, I guess, reported that um, there were, surprisingly, the NTSB told them um, that some witnesses said they were doing some kind of fast, low-flying right before the accident. Low-level maneuvering on a, on a very scenic lake. Yeah. Which I have not been out there, but I was recently in California, and I kind of more understand more of the, the geography. Yeah. So you've got a lot of steep cliffs, and then you've got high trees, and then you got, you know, a lake. So yeah. probably not much room to maneuver if you're close to the side. Yeah, and so, who you know, who knows? The witnesses think that sometimes they help, sometimes they, they take you in the wrong direction. Sure. But, um, that's come out, and then... Also, a letter that uh, Kirk Hawkins wrote to um, employees, which I, I think was really interesting. And Kirk is the basically the founder of the yep. company. Yeah, he's the guy. And, uh, you know, if you remember the contract that they had. Pretty, um, pretty onerous contract. It was a tough one. Yeah. And got a lot of, the, of pushback on that. They did. And do you remember one of the things that people were upset about was um, data recording? Yes, I do. People really did not want to see that at all, although other aircraft have that and use it. We yeah. mentioned, I think, in the Cirrus that they use yeah. that technology. Yeah, that, yep, some of them do, and some of the panels have it, um, like the Avidine. That I think the Avidine has it. I know G one thousand does in certain cases. Yeah. So, so people were adamant against it. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it turns out the airplane they were flying had one. Sure enough. And so they grounded the company fleet for a little while, went through the data, and now they're flying again. They are. This has only been a couple of days. Yeah. So nothing. We're we're not thinking anything structural. I mean. It would lead you to believe that, yeah. to, to believe that. Yeah. Um, we'll see uh, what happens. I, I hope they find out because, man, when you're talking about a young company that has struggled to get off the ground. Um, oh, yeah. They've had a lot of setbacks. And, and Hawkins even said that it was a devastating personal loss for, for the entire company. Yeah. Pretty tight-knit unit, I'm imagine, imagining. Yeah. Because uh, not a real huge organization. And a lot of family members are involved with that, too. Yeah. And um, and obviously, they they... You know, they say they're going to push through this and it's not the end of the company or anything else. But it's like something like this can really put change you back. the course sure, it of put what you back, happens. Put you back or stop. Yeah. And uh, hopefully I mean, right now it looks like they're putting their best foot forward. But I agree with you in that we might not know what's going to happen for a few weeks. And something like this could just put the kibosh on the whole works. Yeah. So uh, um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, it's a really sad deal and hope that uh, whatever they learn, they're able to grow from it and, and, uh, and keep moving. So. Yeah, we're pulling for them. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, all right. This next thing, you you tease a little bit the upcoming show. Two news items a coming out brighter, of Jeppesen. A little brighter news. Yeah. No, so Jeppesen is one of the giants in the in the charting business for mm-hmm. years. And the first thing they did was they surprised a whole bunch of folks. In fact, it was like the best kept secret. Yeah. Or the worst kept secret. Yeah. Depends right. how you looked at it. <laughs> but they uh, partnered up with um, with Flight. Yeah. And so now folks that have a Jeppesen database they're flight deck pro that's a uh, mm-hmm. popular with corporate flight members yeah and a four flight mobile which just you know tons and tons of general aviation folks use that yeah this is a synergy between these two yeah 
This is a really interesting deal. These companies from a culture standpoint, I feel like couldn't be more different. One is a giant and one is like a renegade. Yeah, that's right. It's like <laughs> nimble. It's like David and Goliath. It really is. Uh, it's like, you know, you see the, it's like Silicon Valley versus, you know, old industry sort of thing. Or Mac versus Windows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just fascinating to see them coming together because, you know, I think a lot of people, it's like they really love Jeff Charts and they they feel this sort of loyalty to that. And they were the, they were the, the leaders. I mean, they yeah. started all that. Yeah. It's like the airlines are huge customers, obviously, yeah. and a lot of bigger uh, business aviation uh, operators. So, you know, for, for flight, it's great because mm -hmm. it pushes them into that market. It does. Um, it gets them out of the, out of the GA the uh, portable GA, iPad yeah. and stuff like that. And in, yeah. basically, you know, into the hardware. Yeah. And for Jeppesen, it's great because it's like, you know, they can come maybe down market a little bit more into the light GA, easier well, to get those Jeppesen charts. Kind of so. open that up to folks who haven't used it. Yeah. Have you used Jeppesen, uh, you know, Jeppesen charts and databases in any of your flying? Uh, when I first started learning, I did. Um, and uh, I like, I mean, they're great. The the stuff that they do is phenomenal. They do, they do. I want to let the podcast listeners know that when I had my Mooney, the Jeppesen was the database that I had to update. I had yeah. a pretty pretty much a primitive GPS. Yeah. You know, it would tell you if you're left and right, didn't really have yeah. a moving map. <laughs> but man, by gosh, they supported it. Yeah. And so you can get that Jeppesen database updated even for some of those legacy, original style GPS panel mount units. Yeah, yeah. So, the, and they've made a lot of strides in recent years to simplify their pricing, which is always a little complicated. Yeah, that that was indeed complicated. Yeah. Um, they've tried to parse things out a little bit. So it's like, if you only want one thing, you can only get one thing. And so, so that's good. And, and, and they're kind of moving more towards the four flight direction. Of course, four flight as they get bigger is getting a little more, um, mainstream. Yeah. I guess is maybe the way to put that. Yeah. So. Four fly is still pretty reasonable. I mean, they, I think I've got the basic plus membership. It's less than a hundred bucks a year. It's about ninety nine dollars. Yeah, think. and now I think under this deal that that stays the same. It does. Right? Yeah, yeah. And one hundred ninety nine bucks a year for the pro plus. Then uh, our story says that Jeppesen will still charge $199 annually for the folks wanting to use the Jep charts, yeah. which is for a lot of IFR work and a lot yeah. of the heavy duty things. And like you said, a lot of corporate and professional pilots are using the Jep stuff already. Yeah. A lot of airlines. Yeah. So if you're flying a lot, it's like that's that's not a bad investment at all, I think. Have you, when you've gone uh, and used uh, your four flight, uh, first of all, do you use four flight or something else? I have used four flight. Um, my, my, personal uses with somebody else okay but uh yeah well this is interesting um i do the four flight thing but i didn't have the full-on you know top of the line oh, yeah. you know software yeah. package and i was uh, flying with tom haynes the other day and, and it looks like he does mm -hmm. and then so what's really cool and i might upgrade is that you know you can get gps sensing on the ground that will show you on a on a on a basically on a plate yeah and obviously also on a ground reference chart you know yeah. where you are on the runway taxiway whatever yeah that awesome. could be that could be cool at night or in an unfamiliar airport or in bad weather or just you know if you just temporarily get mixed up yeah that's that that sort of technology is phenomenal the, the other thing you can get with them is synthetic vision oh man which i know a lot of folks get you know they offer it now but they were saying, uh, when you talk to the four flight guys, that they're like, well, this is cool and we thought we'd offer it because people might like it. Yeah. But it's like some huge number of their customers have taken that because they love it. For situational awareness, you know, especially if you're in the mountains yeah. something like, or a place with a lot of obstructions, I can see that being a, a huge safety advantage. And I'm all for anything that helps you at safety. Yeah. So yeah. that's a good backup. Yeah. 
So they, they, they had the uh, four flight news and then uh, another recent one. Yeah, man, I couldn't believe this one. They teamed up with uh, the weather company. And for our podcast listeners and TV viewers out there, what this means is that the weather company basically is the weather channel. Okay. And uh, weather channel is based in Atlanta, a place near and dear to my home. Uh-huh. But um, so now all these um, heavy duty weather products are going to be available for the you know, Jefferson aviation market segments. So that's a key thing there. I think that that's going to help unify a lot of the heavy users of the Jeppesen um, software package, and that'll trickle down to the rest of us as well. Hmm. So a uh, little bit of trivia. Did you know that the weather company provides up to 26 billion forecasts daily? 26 billion with, with a, a B. B. Yeah. Whoa. So, you know, a lot of people look at the weather channel or the weather company or online, you know, weather.com yeah. for the big picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when we were flying, we'll, we'll look at our uh, no maps, we'll look at our aviation sources, but a lot of times we'll look at the big picture first. Yeah. What's the rest of the country doing? What's the region doing? That kind of thing. And then own in, zero in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use that. I know a lot of other pilots use that too. Yeah. I got to say for all that like aviation specific stuff and everything else, when it comes to just sort of general weather and what's happening and when's it going to start raining and all that, it's like, I, you can't beat the Weather Channel app, I think. They're good. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know how many uh, meteorologists they have, but it's uh, it's a huge amount. Yeah. It's not just the folks we see on TV. Yeah. Or it's not Jim, not just Jim Cantori <laughs> yeah. and the hurricane. But, <laughs> I uh, love this, by the way. I'm going to totally derail where you're going with go this. Go for it. But I love this line from your... <laughs> I was laughing to myself from your story. Yeah. Uh, the Weather Channel's TV presence has strayed somewhat from its core mission by branching out into weather-driven entertainment programming. They have, man. I flipped on the TV and I'm looking at the Weather Channel waiting for my forecast and I'm like, what the heck are they showing me now? Uh, are they doing like, um, I don't know, is it like unmarried moms with five kids and looking is, at like <laughs> tornadoes? I mean, what? You it's know. not quite that, but I will say, well, there's one that's like aviate. They, ex- they explain aviation disasters. Okay. So yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, know if our podcast great. listeners are going to be enthralled with that or yeah, not. Yeah. But but actually, some of the larger aviation disasters, we are getting derailed. But like some of the larger disasters led to key safety advances. Yeah. You know, like there was a crash over the Grand Canyon that led to, did that lead to like transponders? And I think that was a San Diego accident, wasn't it? I, I, I get them all confused because it was before my time. But yeah, yeah. So, so no, you're absolutely right. I, it's, uh, but you know, I, I just laugh because it's they, the same way. It's like you turn it on and there's never actually They're not on, on the weather. Yeah, yeah. You have to wait for the break to get the weather, the yeah. local weather. And they, yeah. no, they have straight off into, I don't, I don't think they've gone down the road of uh, ice road trucking yet. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the other TV networks have. No, that's like the history but, channel of all random but, things. But they're getting yeah. close. <laughs> but they still hit it hard <laughs> online and they also have. Uh, quite a quite a big presence um, on TV, and a lot of folks do rely on them. Mm-hmm. And the, well, the government relies on them as well as the you know, military, you know, and uh, air transport operations. They they all go to the Weather Channel, the Weather yeah. Company. And so they're going to be teaming up to to provide Jeppesen some of that uh, weather data, basically. Right, and it'll benefit yeah. GA and other aviation interests alike. I think it's a cool thing. I was surprised that they came out with that right after announcing this ginormous deal with uh, Four Flight. Yeah. That is interesting. They've been yeah, they busy. Need, they need to pace themselves. Yeah, Jefferson. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Only one announcement a month. <laughs> right. One major announcement a month. <laughs> they uh, that'll be interesting to see where it goes because you know they already provide some sort of weather and forecasting and some stuff like that. So. Well, Jefferson, I thought was doing their own gig with right, that. Right. And so yeah. this, uh, I guess, it, what their news release said, and it, and clearly they're headed towards. They want to unify this so that everybody's using the same thing all the time, mm. and uh, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. You know, you want to have accurate reports. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. 
Speaking of accurate reports, that's a okay. great segue. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I planned it that way. Okay, good. Oh, you did a nice <laughs> job. Uh, where we want to go next, which is um, basic med. Uh, so we're a couple weeks in now. What, 11, 11 12 days? 12 days. Uh, as we record this uh, into the basic med era. And the numbers are looking really good. Looking great. Um, a few thousand of you have come on, taken the course. Um some of that portion has sent stuff to the FAA and said, okay, I've, I've done it all. But there's some confusion. There is some confusion. A little like, bit. Like any new process. So we, we had a story on this a couple of days ago and just trying to help folks through what we're seeing on the back end or, or some of the just the, the challenges um, that people are facing. Yeah. A couple of these are kind of interesting. One is the date. The date that, that you had to start using the checklist. Yeah. The basic med checklist. Yeah. So remember, the course and the checklist came out of the same day, right? That's right. Um, and that was the day that it's like, okay, the whole basic med thing, go. Green light. You Green can light on here. May 1st. Uh, yeah. But and, the and checklist it, came out. Yeah, it came out before. April 24th, I think. 24th, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And so basically, <laughs> I guess people are going into the course and uh, it says, okay, and it, it all you have to do is say, when was the exam? In the course, right? right. Um, when and people was your are putting exam? in like, well, I went to the doctor two years ago. That's when I got an exam. And does that count, Ian? No. Uh, negative. Uh, don't no. pass go. Don't no. collect your money. Um, some people apparently were also putting the future date. So it's like, hey, I'm oh. doing the course now, but maybe I'm going to see the doctor in two weeks. Oh, so I'm just cool. going to put in that date. I like the planning aspect that's, of that. Yeah, that's Doesn't good. go over well with, <laughs> with the basic med idea, though. No, yeah. it's wish, kind of wishful thinking. It's like, well, of course I'm going to pass. So I'll just put in the date two, sure. you know, two weeks from now. <laughs> um, so we ran a little story just just trying to clarify some of this stuff. Um, what else came out? There are a few other things. I so think. The, the basic thing is that for folks who are doing basic med, they, they're really not supposed to have filled out the basic med checklist prior to the 24th of April. Right. Correct? Yes, when it all came out officially. There was a some of the confusion here is there was a draft checklist yeah. early. Just so, as just to give folks a taste. A taste, that's exactly right. It does not count. So if you use that one, I'm really sorry, but you got to go back and basically take the real one to your doctor. So can I put down, putting you on the spot now. Okay. Can I put down on this checklist the last date of my third class medical? It's still valid. Ooh, now that's a great question. My understanding is that you cannot You're do You're correct, that, sir. You, you cannot, cannot do, that. do that. Yes. They are not one and the same. But I can still fly under yeah. third my third class medical. Mine's still current and yours is too. Yep. You told me last uh, podcast. Yep. But if we want to go to basic med, we really need to start no earlier than the 24th. And, I, and yeah, May 1st, why not? Actually, yep. today's the 12th. Today, May 12th would be what I would put down today yep. if I'm going to start the checklist. Yep. I yep. like it. You got it. So there were some of those issues. And then the other thing is just kind of um, the process. It's it, This is really confusing, and we didn't start to push this until later because it wasn't really clear. You have to do that checklist before you finish the course. Now, you can start the course anytime you want. Right. But at the end of the course, there are some certifications basically saying, like we're talking about the date. Hey, I went to the doctor. I did the checklist. Here's the date. Yeah. And you certify that you've done the checklist. Obviously, you can't certify you've done the checklist if you haven't done it yet and so you have to you should really just go to the doctor then do the course then you're on your way now wait a minute i thought you had to bring the checklist to the doctor yes okay yeah so go to the doctor with the checklist do the course gotcha 
Gotcha. You're done. I think that's important. I, I already sent um, some notes out to my pilot buddies in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Jeff Girth and John Bazemore. I told them to get on the stick and get basic med going because these guys were a little bit medically challenged earlier. Okay. And they're waiting for us, for AOPA, to push this through, which we did. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, guys, now that we're, we're on board, jump on board again with us. And you're already a pilot. Yeah. Exercise your privileges. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Tons of people coming back. I've had some good stories about that. Um, I've seen some stuff on Facebook. I've seen stuff on the forums where people are saying this has been the, the you know life changing for them. Oh, it's great. To come back. And so it is. It's super cool. It's really exciting. And a lot of folks are a little bit worried about getting back in the game. That's why we have our Rusty Pilot seminars available. Mm-hmm. That's under our You Can Fly tab online for mm-hmm. folks to check out. And that'll get them going pretty pretty easily. And it's, I love that Rusty Pilots course myself. It's it's very intuitive. And it, in fact, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it is cool. Um, the other thing is, and we've talked about this in the past, but we're going to push it again. If you have questions, call us. Pilot Information Center. Yeah. They're specialists. Yep. More than us. happy to help. Yeah. And they told us today that um, since Basic Med has gone into effect, or since April, basically, their contacts are up 76%, which wow. is just goes to show people are really interested in well, this. Well, they're and, jumping they're jumping on it. Yeah. And a lot of folks do have questions. Yep. And that's why the PIC is there to help answer those. Yep. Set you straight. Yep. And if you're a member, done cost extra. That's right. It's part of your membership. <laughs> it's a yeah, it's a great benefit. Absolutely. That's a cool deal. Yeah. So um, let's move on. One of the things, if you have questions or or if you just want to sort of chat and uh, and sort of immerse yourself in the community a little more, AOPA, we, we started something new. We had a little soft launch of the AOPA hangar. It's a, like a social media gathering spot online. Yeah. And I think that's a cool place to go. Folks could chat about different different topics. In fact, there are different discussion boards, folks who are interested in Beechcraft aircraft or okay. their Beechcraft club members. Yeah. There's a Beechcraft, there's a Piper organization, a discussion group, there's a Cessna discussion group. I started a, a discussion group myself on the total eclipse that's getting ready to happen on August 21st. Yeah. Have you heard about that? I have. That's super cool. It is neat. I think pilots are going to get into that. And uh, for our podcast listeners who haven't heard, just real quick, and again, the AOPA hangar uh, is a good place to start chatting about this, but the eclipse is going to start in, in Oregon, and it's going to uh, cut like an arc across the entire country. Yeah, and like end, right in half, diagonally. Yeah, it's going to end up in yeah. South Carolina, off the coast of South Carolina. So the folks in the middle, Nebraska, Kentucky, uh, South Carolina, and then going back to the west, Oregon, and um, and let's see, a little bit of Missouri and Idaho, there are some cool things that you could do as a pilot. For instance, if the weather clouds up, you can get in your plane, go to another location, and still experience this eclipse. It's in the daytime. Yeah. So it's not going to be real taxing to fly from one place to the next. Yeah. And so we're talking a little bit about that on the AOPA hangar. Yeah. And it's a real, real cool place to meet people. And, oh, we should talk about there's an event schedule that's associated with that as well. Yeah, that's right. So you, you know, you, you got the weekend open, you feel like you want to go out somewhere and go flying. We have, we've always had our events calendar. It's going to be brought into the hangar yeah. and be a little bit easier to use. So like a great example is Wings and Wheels. We've got that coming up in Frederick in a couple months, I guess, a month. We do. Month it's going to be in June. Yeah. Um, so the announcement there, you can, you know, go and find out when that is and what that's all about. And that's true for anywhere, you know, any uh, anywhere around the country. This really. is a neat place to go. If you want to socialize and uh, talk to other other like-minded pilots, and really, the whole the bottom line is: let's get out and do it. Let's let's do some flying. Let's get current, and let's experience what we've all learned and yeah. put it into put it into play. Yeah. So, 
course, we got to give them the URL if we're going to do a shameless self-promotion. Would we you gotta, mind? Yes. Do you have it? A-O-P-A hanger. How do you spell hanger? H-A-N-G-A-R. A-O-P-A hanger.com. Oh, that's easy enough. Yep. Cool. You well, got it. Uh, hope, hopefully we'll meet some folks online and... And if they need to, uh, oh, there's, we should mention where there's a drone discussion on that's board right. too. Hey, and actually, if you go on there, this talk about hangers, it's like you can go on the AOPA hanger. And if you feel like you want to interact with us, start a conversation about hanger talk. Oh, yeah. It could be a hanger talk discussion on the AOPA hanger. Well, why don't we do that ourselves and then have some folks uh, weigh in? Yeah. I would like that. Yeah, that'd be great. So okay. definitely well, reach out to us. Yeah, we could use some new ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, we're we're having a lot of fun doing this. I don't know if our podcast listeners appreciate the all the homework we do going into this. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so last last bit of news um, before we get to Adam, um, and you, you want to stick around for Adam. He's he's gonna he's great. So this this one I, I don't want to say is a total surprise. Um, maybe we saw a little bit coming, but we got we got a two for here. Um, Cessna came out and said the Mustang, the the one of the original VLJs, yeah. you know, gonna darken the skies. Um, it's, it's kaput. So the, the Cessna Mustang, there was so much, uh, so much to do about that. And yeah. a lot of companies scrambled to introduce their own VLJ. Mm-hmm. What would we, at the one time we had what the Eclipse, we had the Cirrus yeah. Vision jet, which is now in production. Yep. We had a diamond jet that was going to crank up. Yeah. The Piper jet. That's right. Um, gosh, what else? Uh, well the Phenoms, um, I, I mean the 100 is kind of a big VLJ, but you know, it's still kind of a VLJ. So that Mustang yeah. is a sexy little airplane though. It is cool. And, um, and so it was, you know, it provided this gap between kind of the the big uh, turboprop and the little jet. So if you yeah. wanted to be flying a jet, if you want to be, you know, flying up high and say you owned a jet, Mustang was a great way to enter that yeah. market. A lot of that was geared towards uh, single pilot operation. Yep. Correct. And you so um, a little bit of a reduced cost type type deal. Mm-hmm. And you're right that uh, Cessna and a couple of others, you know, brought a lot of folks along on their on their shirt tails. Coattails, yeah. is that how you say that? Yeah, like yeah, coattail? yeah. You got it. So um, it it is a good airplane. You know, they're a little bit range challenged. Um, I'm just looking now on uh, on Cessna's side, and so they, you know, they'll continue to manufacture the M2 and support it. Yep. And so they they want to push the push you up into the M2 product and and get you past the Mustang. But you know the uh, the Mustang. There's a pretty significant difference in the airplanes. Um, Mustang's five uh, passenger. M2 is seven. Uh, the Mustang range twelve hundred miles. Uh, the M two is fifteen hundred. So that gives you uh, that's three hundred more miles. That's a uh, it's like another twenty percent. Yeah, um, useful load difference. It's like the M two you get another seven hundred pounds. So the M two is a bigger, better it is vehicle. It, it really is. Yeah. So the deal is, if you want to start. Uh, in a Cessna, you got to start now in an M2 in terms of the citation line. But they're still going to support the Mustang. Yeah, yeah. And they're still sure. making parts for it. They're sure. actually still making the aircraft from what's been what's been ordered up yeah. until now. Yep. I think the last one was just delivered, and that's why they said okay, that's it. Okay, so this is it. Yep, that's it. Um, After a 12-year run. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, actually, because um, it kind of coincided with the first quarter gamma numbers, you know, General Aviation Manufacturers Association. And how do those numbers look? Yeah, they actually they look really good, uh, which I, you can hear the surprise in my voice. Um, <laughs> yeah, because the last time we talked about gamma, it was not a great yeah. uh, scenario. In fact, we talked about some cautious optimism. I think. Yeah, well, I would say that really continues. Believe it or not, the piston deliveries were up six percent. Um, uh, that's pretty good. It is good. I like that. So yeah, it looks like basically what where we where we are is uh, pistons in 2016, uh, first quarter 191 total. 
from the market. That's a little bit less than 200. Yep. And now for 2017, we're at 203. That's more than 200. Yep. So, so you're up by about, yep, by almost 20. Yeah. Oh, more than 20. Yeah. And no, no, up by 12. Yeah, 6%. 191 to 203. Yeah. Got it, got it. Um, turbo props, uh, not quite as good, down about 7%. That's been consistent. How about business jets? Up 6%. That up looks again. great. Okay. And the Rotocraft segment, which they also track, eh, boy, they've been hurt. Although I got to say, seeing turbine Rotocraft up is a good sign. They're up 11%. That is. Well, now Bell's coming at, Bell came out with their 505. That's yeah. a, new, a new aircraft. It basically. is. It is. It's funny, though. It's a real mixed bag because it's like they only delivered two of those so far. They've got a bunch on order, though, so those will start to, uh-huh. to crank out. Sikorsky is looking bad. No S-76s came Wonder out why. or anything like that. Yeah. Huh, I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. So anyway, some some interesting kind of stuff comes up in those piston numbers. So I'm going to guess what the lo- what the what the best-selling aircraft was. Okay. Piston. Yeah. yeah, I want to hear it. Who, who do you, who do you that think? One, that one I, is, I got is a no-brainer is, uh, um, I think, the Cirrus line. Okay. So you think Cirrus delivered the most airplanes? I do. Okay. I do. But, but we right. were talking before the podcast. Yeah. So who the do you number think? Two? No, 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 I cheated because I found this out separately but I, but can i guess wrong yeah number two who do you think the number two manufacturer i was, was? going to guess cessna okay and i think that would be a fair guess right? right you would be wrong i know you told me that before i couldn't believe it yeah then i, then I went i fell back and said okay well piper no nope, wrong you'd be wrong about that so Keep oh, going. Be- oh beach Beachcraft. wrong oh yep. oh oh so when I'm 0 for 3, that's yeah. a really poor batting average. Yeah. No, you can keep going. You're not going to get it. Uh, I know it's not. I know it's not Mooney. <laughs> no. And then, uh, now is it a LSA? Uh, yes and no. Oh man, you're trick question. Me. You're killing me. Um, oh, is it like a Piper? Is it like a Cub Crafters Piper Super uh, Cub? Nope. Oh man, I give up. Technum. <laughs> Technum. Technum. No way. Technum delivered 44 airplanes in the first quarter. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, now we recently wrote about the senior family member of Technum who recently passed away. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of folks, um, myself included, I would never have thought that they were such a powerhouse. Oh, yeah. So Technum is an LSA manufacturer, but also they they also manufacture certified aircraft yeah, as well. Dual. Yeah, that's right. So they delivered 17 of those LSAs. Uh-huh. Um, and then the other stuff, the P2002. 2006. The 2006, the 2010. Nine developed. of those 2010s. The 2010 is something that we actually we tried to do a little uh, plane spotter on that recently. I couldn't yeah. locate a photo. Yeah, yeah. So but that, that's a twin. Yeah. It's a um, high wing twin, correct? Yeah. Uh, and then the fu- now they're designed. No, that's the 2006 T. The six, the the what? <laughs> the what? <laughs> that's the 2006 T. The 2006 T is T being the twin. T being the twin. The 2010 is that new 172. The single alike. four person. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so they uh, they've already cranked out nine of those, which I think is actually pretty good. Um. So that yeah. is neat. Yep. So yeah, 44 total airplanes in the first quarter. Uh, which I just think is phenomenal. Going back, you name some others. Let me see. Let me get down to Textron. They're Ital- the, the Italian powerhouse. Yeah, they are. I like now, that. this one, you, you got to um, parse through this a little bit because it's with the jets. But let me see. We got 20 Skyhawks, uh-huh. seven Skylanes, 13 206s. So it's 33. That's 41 TTX. Oh, only well, one. I wonder why just one. It's a yeah, neat little, it's a neat it little airplane cool, fast, too. They just don't sell enough of them. So that's okay. 41. Yeah. Technum 44. So there you go. Golly. So they were right behind Technum. Yeah. Um, Beechcraft, uh, Bonanza Baron, eight. 
total between those two. What about the twins? Uh, Baron. I mean, well, five uh, of them. uh, uh, We're doing piston. We're not doing turbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, just pistons. Uh, Piper. You mentioned Piper. Piper. Yeah, they've got a nice line. And actually, there's there've been some uh, some collegiate schools that have recently come on board and ordered some Pipers. Yep. So twenty one. Uh, pistons out of Piper. Probably all went to the University of North Dakota. <laughs> a, fair, a mix of around those. Guess how many Mooney put out? Uh, Mooney four, two. Ah, I was I was being that's optimistic. Killer. I know that's killer. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's for to have a giant factory and a lot of support and just put out two new aircraft. Yeah. That's tough. That is tough. But we, hopefully they'll hopefully they'll get some traction. They got the new double door. Yeah, so yeah. So maybe help. it was some delays getting that out. That can happen. Yeah. Um, Diamond 21. I would have thought Diamond would have had more out there. Yeah, I know. And I guessed, uh, I guessed like Cub Crafters. We were talking about LSA. I was guessing Cub Crafters and the Super Cubs and the Carbon uh, Cubs and all that seven. stuff. Seven. Seven. They're low volume. But the thing is, they're a smaller factory, and so yeah. it's like they, they can they can handle that. They're they're maxed out. They're fine, I think, with seven. Okay. Cirrus, 57. Wow, that's strong still. They're cranking. Now, 57. We don't, we don't talk about prices too much when we're talking about new aircraft, but is a new Cirrus almost like 900 grand or oh, something? Oh, yeah. If you do their whole like personalization trick out thing, yeah. uh, you, can, you can hit a million. Yeah. Ouch. Because yeah. that's where the very light jets were supposed to come in when yeah. they first started. <laughs> yeah. The initial Eclipse price was lower than it that. Was. And yeah. then that. And that, of course, like we talked about earlier, that, you know, gave birth to the Cessna Mustang, all which of it, just yeah. ended its run. And, yeah. All of and it. And on and on. So, I mean, to be fair, though, that, that was a I mean, that was never going to happen. It was pie in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. We knew that wasn't going to yeah. happen. So anyway, lots of interesting things. stuff coming out of that. Great so. news. Yeah. I think so. All right, David, I'm going to throw it to you because uh, you're going to you talk to Adam. You're going to see what's going on in his life. To, he's going to tell us this great story. And uh, I'm just excited to hear it. All right. Well, thank you, Ian. We're going to dish to Adam Kishlevsky now in a few minutes. He's going to give us the go around uh, how he got started in aviation. He's a real uh, he won't say it, but he's actually a real war hero. And uh, and I think you'll you'll enjoy listening to his bit of the podcast we had a lot of give and take he's a local guy up here in frederick maryland and he took some flight training up here started in uh with a lsa and he will take us from there to where he is now all right so welcome to hangar talk uh, podcast we've got adam kishlevsky here with us at AOPA. How are you doing, Adam? Outstanding. Thanks for having me. How'd I do on your last name? You did better than I did, but I'm not <laughs> even sure I'm pronouncing it right anymore. Well, we're honored to have Adam here uh, for our podcast listeners that don't know. We've uh, written about Adam a couple of times. You're a former Marine sergeant, correct? That's right. And uh, tell us a little bit about, um, and you actually are a war hero. I, I wouldn't say that, but uh, uh, I was lucky enough to, to serve my country and I got banged up pretty good doing it. You did, and I want you to tell us a little bit about that, but you're also a pilot. That's right. There's a very unique story to that. So tell us a little bit about where you served, and we're happy to have you here, where you served, and how you got into aviation. Sure. Well, I started out in the Marine Corps right here in the uh, Frederick area. I served on the uh, presidential security detail up at Camp David for about a year and a half, and then uh, after that, I went to uh, 2nd Battalion, 2nd Marines down at Camp Lejeune. Mm-hmm. was a uh, infantry squad leader. I did the uh, six-month workup with my team and then deployed overseas. I went to a place called El Karma, Iraq, mm-hmm. uh, got into a couple different uh, conflicts there, but well, what year was that? I was back in uh, 2005. Okay. So long story short is uh, 
we ended up at this school that we found frequent trouble at. Yeah. I kicked in a uh, door. It exploded and uh, killed a lieutenant that was with me, James Cathy. Uh, I was fortunate enough to leave my life, but lost my left arm and right leg. I'm sorry for your loss of your um, of your fellow uh, officer, um, but um, I'm glad you're here. Thank to you. Make it. And um, and so you did have a. You, I'm sure you had a, a very uh, a difficult recovery, and it was a, you know your life changed, obviously. Well, certainly, yeah. And um, and so you came back to the states. Re- recovered, recuperated in, in the hospital, did some PT, right? Yep. How did you get from that stage to thinking about being an aviator? <laughs> it's kind of a, a goofy story that led me to aviation, but um, I started working for a nonprofit that had helped me out along the way. Uh, what was, op- Operation what, Second Chance. Okay, Operation and, Second uh, Chance. One of the things that we were doing was getting folks out of the, the hospital and to different places where we could do you know little retreats. Just get away from uh, from the stress of the hospital, and um, one of our biggest you know areas of conflict was getting guys you know on airplanes to wherever it was we were trying to go. Uh-huh. Oftentimes our rosters were filled at the very last minute, and uh, I ended up finding this organization called the Veterans Airlift Command, okay. run by uh, Walt Fricky, who I think you guys they're local more or less, right? Uh, they're based out of Minneapolis. Well, um, the, the, I met someone in uh, down in uh, another airport, at, like a College Park, Maryland, or. No, Gaithersburg, Maryland. Okay, I saw they they obviously have someone someone affiliated with yeah, them there. They've got something like uh, twenty thousand pilots that are affiliated with their organization. Aha! Uh-huh, so uh, it could be anywhere. It could be anywhere. Okay. They're, yeah, they're really a national reach organization. But anyways, I uh, I got hooked up with them just setting up uh, some flights back and forth for a bunch of different wounded warriors, uh-huh. and uh, you know I got to ride along sometimes and sitting in the right seat interacting with the pilots. You know, I really kind of just caught the itch and oh. wanted to pursue it a little more. So you were riding along as basically a you know, passenger, second set of eyes, as someone who was doing logistics, basically helping these veterans get around, not as a pilot. No, no, not as a pilot. But, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to, to ride around in, you know, Platus PC-12 and some Gulf Streams and wow, Falcons. I and hadn't been in any of those myself. No, yeah, so I'm, I'm, uh, I got spoiled real early on. So that gave you the bug to fly. Absolutely, and now uh, you told us at the beginning of the podcast um, here on Hangar Talk that you do have some, you do have some physical challenges. I know you're not bashful about them, so um, you got the itch to fly, and it took a few years, probably. It looks like for you to to act on that because you started your lessons in what 2011. I would say somewhere right around there. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm starting to get old now. It's yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. been a while, but <laughs> yeah, I I got hooked up with uh, an organization called Able Flight through Walt Fricky and, uh-huh. and the Veterans Airlift Command, and. Uh, pursued a sport pilot license and you know, AOPA was huge at, at making that happen. You know, back then I was working something like 60 hours a week and, you know, traveled to, to Purdue and, and do a, a six week crash course just wasn't really practical for me or my family. But, uh, Dave Hirschman rogered up and him and uh, a guy named Dean Stickle, uh, flies right here in Frederick, you know, offered to, to teach me, uh, early in the mornings before yeah. I went to work. So it was great. So you had a, a regular job. You're putting in 50, 60 hours a week, and you're you're flying in the morning, probably flying in the evening too. I'm guessing. Yeah, when the, the weather was nice, you know, sport pilot, you're kind of restricted to a to daylight uh, to daylight hours, yeah. and also uh, uh, weather's got to be you know reasonable. Exactly. Um, and so it was really just you know timing it out whenever we could do it. But I think it was early spring when we were doing it, so that the weather wasn't too bad yet. Yeah, we, we got it knocked out pretty quick. Well, now you guys are training in a, a CTS light sport area aircraft correct yeah, the ctls ctls do you remember do you remember that airplane i do you know I, I haven't flown it in probably i don't know three years but it was a great airplane um all glass cockpit 
kind of goofy looking now uh-huh. that that I go back and look at it. But at the time, I thought it was uh, the coolest thing in the world. I'll bet. And so it's a high wing airplane, kind of a big cockpit, big big windscreen. I'd say big cockpit uh, for a light sport airplane. Yeah, but, but certainly uh, uh, it's still a small plane. Now, it didn't have, if, if, as far as I remember, it didn't have very much in the way of any kind of accommodations to, for you, for your, uh, for your challenges. Yeah, so they did have some modifications that were um, available to me with regard to, uh, I think it was hand controls for the rudders, and um, there was a handbrake. And uh, the biggest thing for me was trying to learn to fly it without any modifications if possible. Right. And I found that you know, driving cars, it was best to learn you know, so that I could get into any any car, any airplane, whatever I wanted to do and, and go fly without, you know, any sort of uh, limitations. Um, yeah. So I, I did find, you know, through experience that the center stick was very helpful in controlling the uh, the airplane. I can fly side stick aircraft and I imagine I could fly yoke, but I, I really have found that the center stick configuration works best for, for my challenges. Gotcha. So the center stick helped because you could like squeeze it between your knees, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. So if you're coming in for, you know, that that uh, landing, you've got a last minute go around. Um, if I have to get off the stick, I can kind of maintain the attitude of the aircraft with my legs, you know, get on the throttle and then get back uh, on the stick without any sort of. Okay. Uh, yeah. Any sort of no right. challenges. So you powered through that. And now you, and I read a little bit of your backstory. So you guys, you ferried that plane from here to Massachusetts or Maine or somewhere <laughs> weird. Yeah. Massachusetts. So I, I don't even know if I had the uh, hours to take my, my sport pilot test uh-huh. at the point that, you know, we're going up to Massachusetts to do it. And that's where the examiner was then, correct? It was. Yeah. Okay. So it was an unfamiliar airport, unfamiliar examiner. Um, unfamiliar area you and, just wanted uh, a little bit of minimum hours you wanted a challenge do. right yeah. you're a challenge <laughs> a challenging guy you wanted more of a challenge yeah i'll tell you what i don't i don't stress very often but dave will tell you that uh that evening i was i was shaken up a little bit and we did the i was really worried about the oral board more than the uh the check ride and i recall you know spending most of the day when we were up in massachusetts working on the oral board and that evening right before i got dark we went for that mock check ride uh-huh and I did everything you could do to screw up a check ride short of crashing the airplane. I mean, I really <laughs> did not have a good good ride at all. And I was really kind of shaken up. I'm like, hey, I'm not sure how well this is going to work out. And the next morning there was media there, and I was really feeling the pressure. Yeah, I'll bet. Two all, TV stations, two local papers I read. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know duty. what was there, but yeah. it was. Yeah, it, it probably was a blur, <laughs> I'm it, sure. It was, uh, the details are fuzzy at this point. But you, but you powered through that. And I think, uh, and Dave Hirschman's story, uh, he says that, you know, that you calmed down a little bit cause you had the questions down cold for the oral. Yeah. No, no doing really well with the oral helped out. And then, uh, uh, you know, the check ride wasn't flawless, made a couple of uh, minor mistakes, but, um, you know, I, I really did pretty well, you know, all things considered, especially being an unfamiliar area altogether. Unfamiliar area and just everyone's nervous at that kind of exam. Yeah. And, and you had put a lot into it. And let's face it, podcast listeners who aren't here, I mean, this is a huge, be a huge challenge for it. It is a huge challenge for a lot of people to get any kind of a pilot certificate. Okay. And in your case, even a more of a challenge with an airplane that's a, you know, light sport airplane, kind of twitchy a little bit, I guess, an unfamiliar place. And uh, examiner, you don't know all that put together, a little case of the nerves. I can get, I can dig it. <laughs> I'm glad to, glad to move past it though. So you didn't move past that, but before you got that, Dave uh, Hirschman took you up, I think in what we were calling the tornado Husky, the AOPA had a Husky giveaway airplane. And it was that like, um, and that was before all this, uh, stuff. And it was, uh, he says it was your, your first time flying a GA airplane 
but you're able to climb and level off and really look comfortable in that. What did that feel like? Oh, that was awesome. I, I think, uh, you know, the veterans airlift command rides really kind of got me inspired, but, uh, uh, you know, flying the Husky was, was probably the, the thing that was closest to taking crack. I mean, I, I was, <laughs> I was hooked from that point. I, there was no, uh, no going back. Well, you might try to do uh, some helicopter lessons if you want to really <laughs> spend some money and do the, the, the crack of air, of air <laughs> the airplane business. Um, now one thing that uh, we were thinking about was that, um, that Dave said that you'd be, you would probably make a very big contribution to the general aviation community. Okay. Um, I know I'm springing this on you and, uh, I'm just wondering, thinking back about that, how have you made a contribution to the general aviation community? You know, when I started out, uh, it was really more something for me to pursue on my own. Um, you know, I've been working in a lot of nonprofits, but, uh, I I really wanted to do something that I could enjoy and aviation was a way for me to do that. With light sport aircraft, it was difficult for me to really get out and, and go because the closest place that I could find to rent a sport plane was down in Bay Bridge, which is, you know, it's an hour and a half drive. From here, for folks that don't know, Bay Bridge is on the bay um, headed from uh, inland Maryland out towards the coast. And, right. But it's it's beautiful there. Oh, it's awesome flying once you get out there. But the problem was it just took up so much time in my day to just drive to travel out from there. from one city to the next. Yeah, and then to go fly and try to stay proficient okay. uh, was a challenge. So I got into uh, private pilot you just did. so I could fly more aircraft. Then and then uh, trying to get back and forth to, to Massachusetts where I work up at Homespar Troops was was fun. But also uh, there was a couple times where I almost didn't make it into meetings and couldn't make it home so i pursued the uh, instrument ticket and at the uh the whole time i was going through that uh, really the thing i was thinking is i'd like to to be able to use my instrument ticket to give back and you know maybe one day fly some uh some wounded warriors around and kind of pay it forward the same way uh you know i had benefited from back early days when i got wounded that's pretty cool now you summed up a lot of stuff in just a short paragraph or two but all right let's go from light sport <laughs> to private pilot that's a pretty big uh, step as well. You needed more time. It was. You know, I, I was lucky, though. Dave and, and Dean had done such a good job with uh, with teaching me all the fundamentals of flight that the, the private pilot really wasn't too much of a challenge. Uh-huh. Um, the conditions you know, for my check ride were, were uh, less than stellar, I think. Tell me about that. I think it was something like... Uh, 20 knot sustained winds gusting to like 32 or something. Adam, you like a challenge. <clears throat> I do. I don't know what I was thinking, but I, I had something like six weeks of travel, consecutive travel. And I knew I was going to be able to, to take the check ride anytime soon if I didn't do it that day. And the examiner said, I think five or six times during the oral board, hey, are you sure you want to do this? Um, and the only reason he entertained it was he was a former military pilot and uh, he had talked to my instructor who had told him, Hey, Adam can handle this. But, uh, uh, I know the first, you know, landing or two, I came in there and, um, you know, the wind was gusting, you know, pretty much sustained 32, which is not a big deal. You just come in and land, but if it's down the runway, right. It, was, it wasn't too much of a crosswind, but, uh-huh. uh, uh, when the wind suddenly stops blowing, you know, it's 32 and now it's 20, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it had my pucker factor up a little bit, but, uh, it all worked out. I powered through that. Yep. Passed that check ride. And then, uh, uh, and where was that? I did that down in Leesburg in Leesburg, Virginia. Yep. Okay. So, I wanted to get some some time inside the CIFRA. That was one of the big things from being a sport pilot was I really stayed out of the CIFRA, which was... All right, so explain to folks that were that are not <laughs> Washington, D.C. regulars like you and I, the yeah, CIFRA. So the special flight rules area, Washington. So flying in or around D.C. can be a, a bit of a challenge. But once you've it's, done it a time or two, it's really not a big deal. It's not that bad. Really, it's not. It's just that there's some regulations that you have to go through. 
And uh, I guess for me, the biggest takeaway is this is the only place in the country where you're not supposed to squawk 1,200 VFR, <laughs> right? Yep, yep. And uh, Leesburg wasn't too much of a challenge. It had you know, some special uh, uh, stuff you needed to do, but you could kind of get in and out of it um, in a, a unique way. But it did give me some time around you know, Class B airspace yeah. inside the uh, the Cifra and then uh, getting to fly in and out of uh, towered airports a lot more sure. than I did with the late sport, which is very cool. Yeah, and so that led you to, you got your confidence up, you got more hours. You probably, at that time, you remember how many hours you had, like 80, 150? Probably uh, somewhere in the vicinity of 60, 60 or, hours. or so, I'd it's, say. That's pretty good, and you got your private pilot, you powered through that, and you did you jump right into instrument training? No, it took me about a year. Um, I did accumulate a lot more hours over that that yeah. year because you know I, I had you know access to airplanes and could stay proficient and fly much more frequently. But uh, uh, yeah, after getting... Getting grounded in uh, uh, different states a couple times uh-huh. where the weather didn't do what I thought it was going to do. I thought the only real practical way ahead was was instrument. The next step on the ladder, for sure. And were you flying from uh, from the Maryland area to Massachusetts, you said? I was, via on a far. regular basis? I did it a couple times. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I remember the, the last time I did it, the, uh, the clouds got real low, and I was scud running from, like, Lancaster to... Uh, uh, to try to get back to Leesburg, and I thought this is this is almost you know stupid. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I vowed not to do that anymore. So I did a little bit of that in Air Coop down in Georgia, where where I learned to fly, and then <laughs> you know South Georgia, uh, summertime with the thunderstorms and low clouds and and scary winds. Yeah, I, I decided that real quickly I wasn't the thing to do. <laughs> nope, not smart. All right. So, you, but you jumped into your instrument. Yeah. And now how? Now that had to have been a little bit. We're talking about challenges here. What was the biggest challenge jumping from private to the instrument? You know, I'll, I'll say that uh, I was lucky. You know, one of the Veterans Airlift Command, you know, pilots uh, down in Gaithersburg, uh-huh. Mike Bell, you know, said, hey, do you want to use my airplane for uh, for your instrument ticket? And what I kind said, of plane? Well, he had a, a Citation Mustang. And Oh, oh you're kidding. Oh, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Um, but he also had a, a Diamond DA-40, which is what I flew. <laughs> and, okay. Uh, uh, so he let me pick that up down in uh, Gaithersburg. I brought it up here to uh, to Frederick. And, yeah. And then I did my instrument ticket, you know, up here. Uh, I'll tell you, of all the things that, you know, I did – the instrument seems like it was the most work. It was probably the, the least fun to do initially because it really was work. You yeah. Know, you're, you're really looking inside the airplane the whole time. But uh, uh, at the end of it, you know, the, the precision was what kind of made that a lot more fun. I would say that of all the check rides that I've done up to that point, the light sport and the private pilot, the instrument was certainly the smoothest. I mean, there's a lot to know. There's a lot to do. Um, and uh, you've got to be on top of your game. You've sure. got to stay in, in front of the aircraft. But uh, I did really well with that. Um, Neat. I would say that was probably the least challenging because I already knew how to fly the airplane. I knew how to handle all the... Uh, you had the confidence. <clears throat> yeah, I had all the, the the challenges of one-arm, one-leg flying worked out at that point. It was, it was tell mostly... Me, well, tell me about the challenges of one-arm, one-leg flying. Yeah, so, uh, you know, mostly it's just finding a new way to do things. So what do you do if, you know, you're... Uh, you're flying the plane, you're, you know, you know, slow speeds and you've got to make some last minute corrections. And, uh, you know, I I found with side stick, you know, aircraft that, uh, trimming the the aircraft. So it was nose up. So if I did have to get around, you know, off the, the stick and onto the throttle, you know, the, the nose wouldn't just slam down into the ground. I could make a quick, uh, adjustment to the power. And, you know, for me, instead of trying to make a correction to, to land, it was an automatic go around. But, uh, 
uh, more than anything, it was just you know, getting out there and, and practicing, figuring out what worked for me and, and then going forward. Now, you brought up something cool with the automatic go around. You know, a lot of us pilots, we, we practice and we talk about go arounds and yeah, we do them maybe, you know, once every couple of years for our instructors, but that's a real key takeaway to be ready, spring loaded for a go around. Right. And in your case, that was, that wasn't really an option. That was a necessity is what you're saying. <laughs> you, be ready. Um, you know, I remember the first time it happened, I was flying with Dean Stickle here at, at Frederick and, uh, we came in the, the aircraft just seemed slow or I, I don't know if I was flaring too high. I yeah. really wasn't sure what led up to that point, but, uh, something just didn't feel right to me. I was probably only you know, 10 feet off the ground at that point, And, uh, uh I knew I needed it to, to go around it just instantaneously happened. And I think I was reaching for the, uh, the throttle about the same time my instructor was, he, <laughs> yeah. he's, you know, old air force, you know, Colonel ready to give me enough, uh, uh, enough rope to hang myself, but you know, also didn't want, you know, didn't want to go into the ground either. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but Both you know, you guys it, had a vested interest in that coming <laughs> out. Well, but I, I hit the gas and went around. I didn't have any help from him. And, you know, at that point we knew that if something happened, I needed to do, you know, those last minute, you know, adjustments uh, I could, and it wasn't a problem. It all just sort of worked out, and I think that's how it worked out with all the, that's the training take, across the board. Key takeaway, though, that go around and folks be spring loaded, ready to go. So a lot of times we we don't think about that, and we you know, like I said, every couple, you know, once every year or so, when we're going up with a to get some refreshment instruction, we think about that, we do it. But that's probably good for regular pilots to to, to practice on a regular basis. I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm, go around. Uh, I guess along with all the other pilots, I, I struggle to uh, to think about that as often as I probably should now, uh, and I'm several years into it, but uh, uh, it's a great thing to, to always be ready to do. Now, tell me a little bit about instrument flying. That's more mental than it is physical, right? Yeah, like I said, when, when I was doing the training, it wasn't a whole lot of fun, at least on the front end. Um, there's a lot of, lot of stuff to learn. You know, it can be a license to kill yourself, and yeah. you've got to be uh, uh, prepared to, to make good decisions and you know, know the background yeah. b- behind why you're doing the things you're doing. And uh, so it was a, a challenge academically, and it was um, certainly you know, mentally tough you know, to get in that mindset. And when you go from being a VFR pilot where you're constantly looking outside the airplane to constantly looking Inside. in, it's, uh, it's a lot different. Nine day. It is, say. yeah. And when I went back to flying VFR after getting my instrument ticket, it was kind of hard to get my head out of the airplane and <laughs> yeah. back to looking outside. Well, now that, that's going to lead me to something else I'm going to ask you about because this is kind of cool. Now, you were an early adopter of iPad technology. And because um, I read in one of our stories <laughs> that that was because it was easier to use that than to keep folding and unfolding paper charts. Yeah, you know, I had an iPad one and uh, four flight, whatever the one of the first or, or second you know versions of that uh, software was. Uh-huh. Um, but I was trying to figure out ways that I could you know, manage um, my cockpit resources. Situational better. awareness. Yeah. And trying to fold and, you know, manage a, a sectional chart at uh, uh at speed, you know, with one arm was just, you know, a bit more challenging and daunting than I, I was really wanting to take on. So yeah. I, I looked up, uh, you know, this thing called ForeFlight, which nobody had heard about really yeah. at the time and, uh, I started using that early on. So I've never, I've, I've had sectional charts and I've, I maintain those, you know, my, my aircraft even today, mm-hmm. um, just in case something happens and I've, you know, uh, catastrophic failure with my, uh, you know, instruments and in inside the aircraft and my, my iPad. Sometimes. And right. yeah, uh, so I've got, you know, backups, but, uh, yeah, early on I started out as a, a glass cockpit. I guess I'm a, a true child of the magenta line. As there they, you go. They call it. I wouldn't know but, how to, 
how to fly a steam gauge airplane in anything short of VFR condition. But that's that's fine though. You got the you got a down pat. You use the technology. You use the resources as a pilot. You use the resources available to you. Yeah. Right. No, it worked out great. Cool deal. Let's lighten it up a little bit. Tell me about flying with your son. And how old's your son now? He's seven. So he's been flying with me for at least the last I don't know three or four years. And uh-huh. he's he's got almost as uh, hooked on it as I am. You know he. He wants to go fly in, uh, I think his latest thing is he wants to go fly to get some key lime pie somewhere. So I think we're going to go do that. We read that in one of your uh, your last publications. You guys here. headed towards, in AOPA Pilot Magazine, you headed towards like Key West or something like that? I don't know that we'll go that far. Um, you know, aircraft are expensive. It costs an arm and a leg, and I'm already shy one. So. Oh, man, that's a good one. I like it. I like it. <laughs> now, but we, we like going out. You know, we'll have uh, breakfast out in, in Easton, or uh, yeah. I'll go fly out to Cape May and grab a burger out there and just kind of make a day of it. That's a lot of fun. What do you fly now when you're going out with your son and doing a little pleasure flying? I, you know, I've really got hooked on the, the DA-40. I think it's mm-hmm. a great aircraft. It works out really well for me, and I'm familiar with it. Um, I'm starting to transition into the DA-42 now that I'm working on the uh, the multi-engine. Oh, okay, um, that's a twin engine. That's a, the twin you know, version of the same yeah. aircraft. Your, but, buddy uh, ha- your buddy has the DA-40 still? No, Mike ended up getting rid of the uh, the DA-40, but he introduced me to another one of his friends, uh, Chuck Scalosi, down in uh, Leesburg, and okay. he's got the DA-42. Nice. So he's, uh, he's rogered up to let me use that for my multi-engine. That's really nice. Well, now you have a good personality, so I, I, I can easily see how people would appreciate just uh, lending you an airplane <laughs> here too, and you know, and furthering the cause. And speaking of some other things that are really important to you, you told us a little bit about volunteering with the Veterans Airlift Command. Is there any more to that? Do you still work with those guys? I do. I, you know, I'm uh, one of their their ambassadors, and I really think highly of the uh, the organization. Um, in fact, Mike Bell, the guy who gave me a, his aircraft to, to do my instrument, is also a uh, uh, a pilot for the the VAC, him and I are looking to uh, to, to break a forty eight you know state record. Um, I think right now it's something like seven or eight days that you know people have been to all forty eight states, and we want to raise uh, some awareness for the Veterans Airlift Command by flying to uh, all forty eight states and you know, potentially as quick as forty eight hours. Okay, <laughs> now are you now wait a minute now forty eight states in forty eight hours. Yeah, and what kind of airplane are we going to use for that? He's, are we going to use? We're going to borrow the shuttle out of the mothballs. <laughs> He's got a uh, Malibu, so um, it's uh, one of those things that it's practical to do it. Um, and then we fly these uh, these long legs, you know, and then hit you know several states all you know clustered together. So we might you know go to uh, uh, Martinsburg, you know. Hagerstown and Leesburg to get Virginia, uh-huh. Maryland, and uh, West Virginia all uh-huh. knocked out real quick. In the corners there. Yep, all the, so, the corners, you know, same thing, you know, Wisconsin, Illinois. Um, and out west, the four corners is Arizona, Colorado. Yeah, so we do these, these long legs and then hit, you know, three or four, you know, states right away and then go to the, the next long legs. We'll be able to get up to altitude, get some speed up. Uh-huh. And then uh, once we get close, we can do these quick landings and and uh, try to make it happen. Uh, so, so podcast listeners, y'all stay tuned. This sounds like a pretty cool, another cool challenge. I think it's going to be pretty cool. Adam, that's awesome. Um, that is pretty neat, and I'm, I'm glad you're pursuing that. Now, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about Able Flight. Now, one other thing, that, that first, that helped you get going in aviation. Yeah. You told us that. No, Able Flight's great. Um, they uh, they rogered up to help me with the, their, their flight scholarship organization. They help cover all the uh, expenses that, you know, uh, weren't donated. So the cost of the aircraft, the cost of fuel, um, 
I don't know, Dean and Dave donated their time uh, when I did my private pilot. You know, I had a, a paid instructor. Uh, they paid for that. Um, so it really made, you know, the learning part of aviation uh, inexpensive for me. But Able Flight, and so Able Flight helped kick in the rest of the expenses, uh, which there are many associated with it, it you know, even a light sport uh, certificate. And um, so they ponied up for that. Now, did you also, so now did you go to Air Venture and then, give out an able flight um uh scholarship or in some ways assist them like one year you were the recipient and then it flipped around yeah i've been uh uh very blessed to to benefit from able flight and uh, one of the things I, i've started doing is act as uh, an advisory board member for them and um the last time uh, i was at i think it was oshkosh uh-huh. um they had they had said, "Hey, would you uh, be willing to present some wings to somebody who had uh, just you know, graduated from our program?" Which was uh, very cool for me to do, kind of come in full circle. How did that make you feel? Felt good. I uh, I really didn't expect it going in there. I wasn't sure uh, uh, that I was the right guy to do. I was you know, really humbled by the whole experience, but it was it was very cool to be a part of. That's neat. So one year uh, at one end of it receiving that kind of help, and the next year dishing it out to someone else, getting the next generation going, the next group of pilots up in the air. Yeah, since then I've gotten a couple of my buddies uh, that were also injured in the, the wars um, involved in aviation. I got a guy uh, named Sam Shockley out in, in Washington State. He's lost both his legs almost at the uh, the hip. He's real high high up on both sides, but he's got the uh, the itch he's, he's going to start pursuing. He's in the final steps of uh, getting through his medical uh, clearance and uh, and there's a Captain Bears Butler who lost both his legs just below the knee, who's also getting into uh, aviation. In fact, he's slotted to go to Purdue here, I think it's this month, to, to go pursue his light sport. Well, I know you're a pretty humble guy, but you honestly, that, that's an inspiration to a lot of people. And uh, folks who are listening they probably can't see your blue shirt right now with a <laughs> United States flag logo and the silver writing that says, Homes for Our Troops. And that's something else, Adam, uh, that you're working with. Tell us a little bit about Homes for Our Troops. Yeah, Homes for Our Troops has really been at the center of all this for me. You know, they provide uh, mortgage-free homes that are you know built custom, special adapted, you know, just for guys like me. That's really kind of allowed me to, to pursue you know, a lot of the passions that I've got. And uh, uh, aviation's you know, certainly at the top of that, but... Um, so do they, do you guys actually help build homes for troops? Yeah, we build homes uh, all across the, the country for, uh, for veterans. I think we built 231 as of, uh, today. Wow, man. That, the number's constantly great. going up. Good. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, Are you out there hammering and stuff with them too? I no, know when I called you the other day, you were like putting together a barn or something. My wife will let me build a barn at our house, but I, I think the uh, organization has a little bit higher standards for the homes they build. <laughs> so they haven't had me uh, out there hammering. Uh, with any of those homes, but um, but volunteers get together and they do like a home raising, like they'll they'll, they'll put walls up, the, the the flooring, the the foundation, the roof, the whole the whole thing. Yeah, they're they're custom built homes from the, the ground up. Uh, we use all you know professional uh, work, so we don't have volunteers really hammering nails uh, anymore. It uh-huh. started out early on like that. But, it did. Uh, uh, yeah, now we we hire general contractors to to come out and build it, you know, just to keep the quality control yeah. up. And uh, you know, like I said, we built you know two hundred thirty one, you know, all across the country. I think forty one states so far. That's so, great. Yeah, it's uh, it's something I'm really proud to be a part of. And um, a couple of years ago, they asked me to be on the board of that organization, which uh, uh, I was thrilled to be a part of. And so 
So you can use your aviation now. Here's something I don't know if you're already doing it. <laughs> you can use your aviation experience to go out and uh, personally inspect these homes in the 41 states. You know, I haven't done it uh, uh, just to go inspect something, but you know, if I'm flying someplace, like I, I flew up uh, uh, to New York to go, you know, do a, uh, a duck hunt, I think it was, and mm-hmm. um, there was a home that we were building there in uh, Watertown, New York, and we just stopped in to make sure all the the construction was going well. So. It's worked out where aviation nice. has helped me, uh, you know, because I, I normally would not have landed there in, in Watertown. I'd yeah, but you might as well check it out. No, sure. since I landed, I'm 15 minutes away. Why yeah. not go swing in? Heck yeah. So now when you're not uh, behind the controls of an aircraft or helping organize um, homes for our troops or helping Able Flight or Veterans Airlift Command, I know you've got a lot of free time. You know, when you're not doing those <laughs> those three or four things. Now, you were telling uh, me a little while ago before the podcast that you ride a motorcycle as well. I do, yeah. Tell, um, me, uh, tell me about your bike. Yeah, so I've got a, uh, a Night Rod Special. I, I bought it. That's a Harley Davidson. It's Harley Davidson. Night Rod. Now, is that, uh, not, is it the Night Ride? Is that the air cooled or water cooled? It's uh, liquid cooled. Liquid cooled. It's like a V Rod technology. It is V Rod. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a V Rod platform. Like I said, I, I think I bought it about six years ago, and uh, it was a 2008. Mm-hmm. With less than a thousand miles, whoever had it uh, certainly didn't ride it very much, and mm-hmm. I, I basically tore it down to the the frame and rebuilt it to make it my own. Um, and what kind of customization did you do to that? Our listeners will probably want to know. Well, I'll tell you, I I at least doubled up the uh, amount of costs that I had in the initial <laughs> purchases of the bike with with things that I did to modify it. Sounds but, like uh, an airplane. It it was. It's uh, it's been a great way to hemorrhage money, but. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, one of the, the coolest things I did was cut the left handle bar off. You know, I figured I had all this money in it. I didn't want it to get stolen. You know? yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to make it harder for somebody else to ride. And since I'm not using that left handle bar anyways, why don't we just go ahead and cut it off? I like that. I like the way you think on that. So you got <laughs> all the controls on the right side. That's pretty cool. Yep. That took, obviously, that took some engineering to think about moving everything over. And what about the clutch? The clutch, I found this guy uh, out in, in Ohio where I basically pulled the, the clutch assembly out. I mailed it off to him. He did whatever it was he does to yeah. him and sent me back, uh, uh, you know, finished product that I just put right back in there the, the same way I pulled it out. And it does what I needed to do. I guess it's a centripetal type clutch. So there's no pulling the clutch handle on that. No, there's no clutch lever. It's more getting the bike to the right RPM and then uh, and it slips it into in the gear. next gear. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I had two bikes before this one. There's certainly some challenges learning to ride a, the bike that way. Um, yeah, one hand, you can always ride one handed. Yeah, well, I, I mean, the first time or two was uh, a bit of an adrenaline rush, a lot like soloing that, that first time. You're not really sure what's going to happen. You're just hoping for the best. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I locked up that, that rear tire a couple times, you know, downshifting, and it was uh, a wake up call. But, you know, now I've, I've got enough experience that that's not much of a challenge yeah. anymore. And I was telling you before the podcast, I've got a 2003 Buell Firebolt. You ever heard of that bike? I have. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Bikes. Yeah, I think a lot of pilots are into um, motorcycling for some reason or another. Yeah, why, not, why do you think that is? I'm not sure what the link is, uh, other than they both cost a lot of money. Um, <laughs> that's, that's about the only uh, correlation that I can see. But you know, I think maybe we like that that movement that you know when you're one when you're at one with the aircraft and you're doing your maneuvers. Right. It feels really special. It feels like you are there that Zen moment. And motorcycling, there are those moments as well. What do you think about that? I would agree. Um, they both take a, a level of precision and uh, uh, certainly a, a lot of uh, confidence and concentration so you don't screw things up. And yeah. I'd say both are certainly unforgiving if uh, if you do mess up. 
Um, it keeps us on our toes. It does. And I think for me, at least, you know, both kind of provide that same you know, challenge that I've found. Uh, uh, I really enjoyed in the Marine Corps, you know, when you've got to pay attention, you've got to be in on your game. Yeah. But uh, uh, there's certainly some fun that comes with that as well. Absolutely. Well, well we're going to wrap it up pretty soon, Adam. So you told us a little bit about the future. You're thinking about 48 states in 48 hours. Yeah. And you said that, that was going to be in a Malibu? I think that's going to be in uh, a Malibu. And you think you'll do that this summer? I think it could happen uh, as early as this fall. Uh-huh. If, uh, if we move forward on that, I'll certainly let you know. I think we got to do it in October because the biggest challenge there is going to be weather, uh-huh. obviously. You know, but uh, you might need someone to visually document that, and I'm, I'm pretty good behind a camera. Yeah, well, you know, we, we might need an observer. I'm not sure what the uh, the Guinness record uh, rules are, but we'll, we'll figure it out. Well, uh, I hope you keep us in touch with that. You told us a little bit about Veterans Airlift Command, Able Flight, and Homes for Our Troops. Give our podcast listeners some websites they could go to. So they can get that assist that you did. Homes for Our Troops is hfotusa.org. Uh, Able Flight's just ableflight.org. And then uh, Veterans Airlift Command is uh, uh, veteransairlift.org. All three great organizations uh, really strongly support all of them. And I hope your your listeners will as well. I'm sure they will. Now, look, before we wrap things up, wh- I, I didn't ask you you know, much, very much about your family. But you said you know, your wife is behind you on a lot of the flying or she, no? <laughs> she wasn't initially. She wasn't too happy with uh, either the motorcycle or the uh, the flying. But I've got a very supportive wife. Uh, who eventually came around to uh, to both. I've got her on my bike several times now. She's gone up flying with me once, but I think my son and I are going to have to to work at her a little bit more to get her going on these uh these trips, but she's coming around. Good. Good. Well, at least she supports you in in the activity and you know, it's so important to have the support at home. No, uh, for sure. With your family and with the the greater American community that's helped you so much and the pilot community as well that's opened their arms. You know, there's so many people, it, it's hard to recognize them all. But even this last one, you know, I, I started to do the uh, multi-engine training and um, you know, Ray DeHaan, one of the, uh, the chief instructors down there, rogered up his time to... Uh-huh. to you know, let me you know, go fly at, at really no cost, you know, for multi-engine, you know, it's just one more example of several people who've gone out of their way to, to do something for me. And, you know, I, I don't uh, deserve any of this stuff. I'm very blessed to, to get to do it, but, uh, I really appreciate so many people going so far out of their way to help me. I think you're a pretty humble guy, but you've got a lot to be thankful for, but you've done a lot for other folks as well. Um, is there uh, anything else I didn't ask you about that you want to tell us about right now? Ah, I, I think we've gone over most of it. Like I said, you have to have me back uh, shortly if we, we can really knock out this 48-state uh, record, but I'm pretty excited about it. Well, Adam, I appreciate the heck out of you coming over here to AOPA and uh, talking to us today for Hangar Talk. Um, thanks again for being a great ambassador for uh, general aviation. Now, will you be speaking anywhere in the near future that we could tell our listeners about? Ah, uh, you know, I'm I'm all over the place and things come up, but I have to look at my calendar to see where I'm going to be at at any uh, given day. Do you um, have a personal website that they do you want people to get to poke around on? I, I don't. Um, biggest uh, way you can can reach out to me is just through the uh, Homes for Our Troops website. And what's that? What, what's that URL? One more time. Hfotusa.org. Hfotusa.org. Yep. Homes for Our Troops.org. Got it. All right. Well, we appreciate. It. We'll wrap it up with Adam. Thanks again. Hope to see you flying around here in Frederick, Maryland. Oh, absolutely. I'll see you soon. All right. On. Hey! 
That's cool. You know, one thing I like about him is he, he's got a great sense of humor and he just does. a great outlook. He on is a very thing. honest individual. Yeah. He's a great guy. Now, he did uh, break a little news to, to me on that show, and he was saying that he really wanted to perhaps hit all of the uh, 48 states, airports in 48 states within 48 hours. That's insane. How do you do that? That's insane. Guess we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to touch base with him when he does it. Okay. So. Cool. All right. Well, David, I think we're done for this week. Um, I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Listen, you could find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk or email us at hangertalk at aopa.org. Don't forget we're now on iTunes at Sporty's Takeoff app and check out the AOPA hangar as well. All right. We'll see you next time. See you, Ian. Oh.